Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Jess Dickey. And I'm Steven Zuber. And today I am going to be telling you guys about Cyber Christianity, which is the stupidest name ever, but I like it because <laughs> I like words with the word cyber in them. I just saw Battle Angel Alita, and like I was just feeling like the entire movie, I was like, I want a robot body. Oh man, like there's like a bunch of scenes in that movie where people get robot bodies because that's like the whole theme of the thing. And I was just like, <laughs> looking at the screen and making claw hands, like I want that. <laughs> me, give me that. Although not with the creepy big eyes. Uh, I don't know. Like the, the super stimulus is kind of interesting, and in that you get used to it after the first ten minutes. Okay. And I actually found it to be kind of adorable. Mm-hmm. Like, probably, I would assume. I also thought it was ridiculous, though, that, like, these are combat robots, and they give them these, like, armored bodies, that then they keep their, like, meathead with their <laughs> giant eyes, and it's just, like, it's just, like, you just stick a big target on top of them, like, hey, my, my human brain's in here, and it's soft and squishy. <laughs> Hit me here. That's why know. I like Mannequin and Worm. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> thought ahead. I think it was a uh, a book that I read where they had they had robots with uh, heads like that. The common knowledge was that when you run into one of these combat robots, you take out the head. Turns out the head, like, it has, like, some hard drive in there with some stuff that's mildly useful to the robot, but mainly it's there to distract people to go for the head. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> because they'll think, yeah, if I take the head, it'll go down, and then, yeah, the robot's fine. He'll still fuck you yeah, up. Yeah, that's, that's actually the whole, like, drive back from the movie. I was thinking about that. I was like, why would they do that? And I was like, oh, you know what? It'd be really smart if they actually stuck the brain in, like, the chest cavity, and yeah. then, like, the head was just a decoy. Yep. Left calf or buttock or yeah. something, something <laughs> random. It'd be hard to fit there. Yeah, maybe the buttock. I don't know about the leg. Yeah, the main processing unit was you... like in the core, surrounded by everything else. Ooh, you so. could like cut it up into quadrants and then stick each one in a different spot, assuming you could still network them together. Mm-hmm. I think we need to design some killer robots, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> would love to. Thanks for bearing with me. We're now returning to our regularly scheduled program. What okay. are we talking about, Inyash? Uh, cyber Christianity. So you were asking in the last episode about how like you could be a rationalist and a Christian at the same time. And I'm sure there's a number of different ways to do it. So this is going to be just one of them. But it is one that I found very interesting due to its uh, focus on AI and singularitarianism. Singularitarianism? Why can't I say it either? Yeah, right? It's a weird word. (laughs) Say it one more time. Singularitarianism. Singularity. Right? Singular- I don't know. It singularity. Like it singularity. It doesn't sound right either. Yeah. It does sound weird, but. Singularitarian. Singularity. Singular- We're going to have to cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep it in. It's funny. Oh, God. It's so tedious. Um, singularitarianism. Singularitarianism? What the hell's wrong with us? I'm Googling this shit. Dude, it's not that big a deal. All right. It's also weird to spell. Singularitarianism. All right. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so, getting back to things. First of all, this is actually tangentially related. You saw about how, um, what do they call it, DeepMind, which was the, the basis of AlphaGo, which we had the episode on when it beat the shit out of uh, human Go players. Yes. Which no one thought was going to happen when it did, and it did. Uh, so they have since then created Alpha StarCraft or AlphaCraft or Alpha Star. I don't even know what the hell they call it. Uh, a program that plays StarCraft and that has now beaten some of the top human players in StarCraft. Like, handily uh it was nine out of ten games i think has it had a chance to play with the world's best uh, they were like in the very top rank they were i think among the top 10 top 15 players in the world i'm really happy for like the the last person to be like the best human before alpha star or whatever beats it and then your title won't be like i'm the best go player in the world it'll be i'm the best human go player in the world <laughs> but yeah. i was the last one to lose to the robot <laughs> nice yeah and wasn't that also um 
I might be wrong about this. I, I think Alpha Star was the one that proved the... Previously, there had been this thing where uh, if two or more humans teamed up against an AI, or like if, if you had a human with an AI, yeah, it was like humans teaming up against a singular AI, you could still beat it with numbers, and then you, that like disproved that. I, I don't know if that was Alpha Star. There was something recently where they... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah previously... I, I think human plus AI is still superior. But yeah, I think what well, it, maybe it depends. I'm not sure, but that's what I've heard is that you know the best whatever. Some of these players are the ones that are you know kind of like cyborg cyborg co units where it's like yeah. Yeah, the human helps and the robot helps. And... That still kind of gives me hope that like maybe we can compete if you just you know merge with an AI, like a little parasite. I was when I heard this, I was really shocked. I did not think it would happen this soon because there's so many degrees of freedom in StarCraft compared to something like Go. Just so much more you can do in terms of, you know, what units can do and of what units you can recruit and how you use your resources and how you plan, you know, going forward. Yeah, but what's funny is we're making these exact same arguments three years ago about, like, there's so many more go. things in Go than there are in chess. You yeah, know, that's true. There's no way it'll be that fast. <laughs> oh, my God. I was, I was shocked. And the thing is, it wasn't even, like, one of the advantages computers have over humans is that they can do an insane number of actions per minute. So they can really do their micro. They throttled uh, Alpha Star to be equal to equal to uh, about how many actions per minute a human can do. And actually, uh, Alpha Star had slightly less than both its human competitors, which was also fascinating. So there was like a lot more thinking, not just brute forcing, right? The one big difference is that uh, Alpha Star could see the entire map at all times instead of just the you know part where the screen is. Um, but they're working on getting around that and forcing it to only see one one small part of the screen at a time. Yeah, that sort of sounds like cheating. Yeah, that could convey a pretty significant advantage for the AI. But right. we, we can't be the only ones to realize that. Did they like play games where the humans were also able to see the whole map, where they just disabled the fog or something? Not oh, no, it didn't disable the fog. The, but the fog the was robot. still there, but it was like, you know how you have the mini-map at the bottom? Right. It was like the mini-map was at the same resolution of the as the for human would be the screen, hmm. sort of, more okay, or less. because they don't... The pixels don't really matter to them. Right. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, they they should have found a way to correct for that. They well, so they're working they should... on it now. So it's not like but true, it sounds like the easy way to do that would be, would be to allow the human to see the whole map, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, because the human can't focus on everything at once, whereas the AI. Well, can. you won't be able to adjust for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, kind of the point. <laughs> well, no, that means so the, the point would be to make it so the AI, AI can only focus on a area about the size of a, of a screen, right? Okay. Yeah, and can really only do most of its actions in that area. Gotcha. Um, but they, you know, they're working on that. They're pretty confident that given another couple months, maybe a little bit more than that, they can get around that too and just have an AI that's better at it than at the entire game than humans. And, uh, the, the thing that is interesting about these deep learning networks, uh, Alpha Star, you know, really drove it home to me, but it's been, it's been a case for quite a while is that people don't know how they work. You like you set it up and then you let it go wild and learn things, but you can't actually like crack it open and look into it and see like what it's doing. It's just like afterwards you look at it and like, wow, that's that's neat. I saw this cool thing about a deep learning network that was uh, trained on juggalos and clowns, <laughs> <laughs> and then asked, uh, you know, given a number of uh, of pictures and said, are these juggalos or are these clowns? And you know they. 
don't know how it knows. But afterwards, they were like, tell us the ones you're the least confident on and tell us which one you think they are so that they can go back and reverse engineer like what criteria the, the system came up with. It was a really neat article. I should link it in the yeah, show notes. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah. From looking at its edge cases and how they how the AI judged it, they said probably the biggest, one of the major criterions for juggalos is that they're group photos because normally they are. So when there was a group <laughs> photo of clowns, it wasn't quite sure of that one. And also, jugglos tend to not have red, whereas clowns generally have a lot of red. That's the only difference that I could think of. And like maybe sharper, well, I guess not even, I was going to say sharper eyeliner, but isn't like the whole thing jugglos black and white? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would think okay. of clowns as softer too, while jugglos having harder edges. Clowns with black around the eyes were uh, much more likely to be borderline juggalo. And for those ones, they were like <laughs> the pictures of the clown from It. <laughs> and I'm like, that's basically a juggalo. That's and, not a clown. And ginger jugglos were the least likely to be judged as ginger or as, uh, as jugglos. <laughs> right. All right. So yeah, apparently red is a very high clownness factor and black around the eyes is a very high juggaloness factor. But again, it's not like they could look in and see databases or anything like that. It's just the yeah. AI learns and then you got to kind of figure out how it learned from seeing where it goes wrong. That's just kinda... like a mind. Like, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's kind of like it's kind of like your own mind or someone else's, right? right? So like training training an AI might be like training a savant child where yeah. it's like, how the fuck did you figure that out? I don't know if I could explain it to you. And <laughs> Then, too, it's like, you know, I don't know how I knew the difference between jugglos and... Although, I guess the difference is that we could think about it and articulate our criteria, mm -hmm. but... We kind of can. We're also not very self-aware of our own brain's processes. Yeah. Like, and is we the can't... clown from It really a clown? I thought it is was it a demon. A clown? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that, like, a... took the shape of a clown because it was, like, making itself look like things that you were scared of. Right. But it doesn't look like a... I mean, it looks enough like a clown that you can tell it's supposed to be clownish. But it also looks different enough from a clown that you can tell this is not your normal clown. This is a demon hell clown. Well, like they every gave clown? it sharp angles. Yeah. The what? Like every clown. <laughs> <laughs> I never was one of those people who was afraid of clowns. I see how like they're creepy because yeah. they, they like push yeah. the uncanny valley with their gigantic mouths and weird eyes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But there are people who are like genuinely afraid of them. And like, uh, actually, I think Rachel doesn't like clowns. She doesn't <laughs> want to watch it with me because I liked it. I thought it was fun. You should get killer clowns from space for her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's... A great 80s B-horror yeah. movie. No, that sounds like something we could enjoy. Yeah. Oh. But this was one of those things that really depressed me when I... Because for me, part of the allure of being uploaded was that once uh, my mind is in software, I can fix what the fuck is wrong with me. I can just go in, tweak some things, and be like, ah, no longer suffer from depression and all this other bullshit that I don't like, you know? And now I'm like, oh... How has that no changed? one can even tell. I'm with oh. you. I'm with you. I don't know how that's changed at all. Well, I assumed that that would be the case, and now you probably can't actually do that because mm. people be like, "Well, your brain's in there, but we still don't know how the fuck anything runs." So no, I like to think uh, we're in the process of therapy. Like the reason we're developing these uh, synthetic minds is to try to figure out how our own minds work, and to do jobs for us and stuff, and to like you know yeah, sort cat videos and hot dog or not hot dog. But there's because we can't even figure out how Alpha Star is doing things, right? Or We're how trying. the Juggalo disorder is doing things. But like we we have a pretty good idea neurologically what depression is and how it manifests. That's that's not like saying how do you sort between like a chair and a seat or something, you know, like relating objects or categories. This is just like do you have enough of this in your head? Yeah. And so that sounds like a really easy knob to tune, right? No, because what if you wanted cuz one of the things he discovered is that redness has a high a clown factor and groups have a high Juggalo factor, right? How do you go in and change that in the program? You don't. But we're you not literally talking, we're can't. not talking about adjusting your 
your category adjustments. We're talking about adjusting chemistry. Well, there's no actual chemistry in your simulation. I guess there, you there, could simulate be, how much chemicals are in the brain. There'll be okay. something that's like, what, functionally isomorphic to how neurons work, gotcha. presumably, yeah, on yeah. how we do this, right? So like, Yeah, so whatever, whatever whatever it is that we're simulating neurotransmitters, probably just with the regular electricity. Yeah. And then, you know, if it is, If it just does turn out to be a complete brain emulation, then yes, I can see how you could simulate different levels of chemicals, but it still doesn't get you over like childhood trauma and shit. I think we're actually closer to solving that in meat space. Yeah. Like, I I would bet more uh, that we're going to be able to actually fix depression earlier than we're going to be able to figure out how a mind works and figure out how to upload it. I think we're closer. Okay. Well, I mean, how would, how would you get someone who, for example, cannot form emotional bonds because of a deep-seated fear of abandonment due to losing a lot of people in their childhood to get over that through tweaking bits? Really quick, though, that's a different question than solving depression but i mean that, that's that's like a huge specific problem whereas like if right you just, but if, if you, the depression probably triggers because the person is lonely because they can't form relationships but like if if, if somebody who responds to antidepressants mm-hmm. i think is like the kind of person that'd be easy to fix in a simulation or in an emulated mind is kind of what because my we can model is. why yeah. why antidepressants work but for like your example have you um, ever tried alcohol <laughs> <laughs> for <Yeah>. many years <laughs> um yeah, for an example, like uh, the one you were just saying, they're, I, th- I believe they're experimenting with, I, f- I forget um, which chemical it is, and I think it's a former psychedelic or former uh, street drug with uh, causing you to forget, or there might be two different applications. There's ones that are just causing people to forget trauma, and then uh, the psychedelics are ones where they're trying to kind of do like a hardcore form of CBT where you're reframing your trauma. If you're doing it on psychedelics, then it kind of actually is more likely to reshape those neural pathways. Hmm. That's kind of like the the cancer patients who don't fear death as much or at all anymore after they're given like a high dose of psilocybin. And depending on how all this works out too with us emulated, so like we could go kind of just like, you know, again, functionally isomorphic robot brain. Or we could do something more like a computer today. Mm-hmm. And, like, and, and if that's the case, you just got this big box of shitty memories that you can just throw away, right? You can, you can ask today's computer to do that. Key. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you get no pointer exceptions with a bunch of other stuff because a lot of stuff connects to that. And you'll right. have a bunch of shit to fix. But... And you're just a broken human throwing out errors every few minutes. I wouldn't I li- necessarily want to delete things yeah, in my past exactly. anyway. I like the approach of reframing mm-hmm. the trauma. Or rewriting you, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you still have it as part of your background. No, I think that... not rewriting it. <laughs> rewriting oh, you it? guys don't like the idea? That's, that's, I put it in that's quotes. Basically, I know, yeah. I know. Are you talking about like going back to like the like, trauma and then, like sucked. inserting like Wasn't a clown in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's like, like brain rape, just going in and altering yourself. No, it's like brain masturbation if you do it yourself. <laughs> that makes okay. me think of that uh, scene in Methods of Rationality where Harry was trying to like make Neville like less afraid of everything so he had like people giving him chocolate but they were dressed as dementors <laughs> he's like stop Here, it boy, have some chocolate. stop trying to make me feel better you're just doing such a terrible job have some money <laughs> yeah that's i guess i mean or i don't know how to respond to reverse mugging if anyone wants to try it that'd be great and i'll let you know so where you cost me and throw a bunch of money at me and i'll let you know how scared i am afterwards It'll probably be proportional to how much money you give me so give me a bunch and then i'll, I'll tell you how how scary it was that is kind I, of like um what is it called exposure therapy though yeah but except plus the uh it, it's like not just exposing you to it but ma- making you form positive connections with the thing that you had were phobic of 
but if I'm phobic of being mugged, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> like, yeah, that usually enough. comes with violence and pain. Yeah, but say if you're traumatized from yeah. being mugged. If you're disproportionately then... afraid of it to the point where you never want to leave your house. Yeah, I wouldn't want someone to mug me and give me money. I would want like people to walk past me in the street <laughs> and not have bad things happen. They just grab me and like, push up against the wall and be like, hey, here's $200. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's the violation that I dislike. <laughs> Here, have a cell phone. <laughs> have some keys. <laughs> you want My your license? Right <laughs> you want someone else's wallet? There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I guess what I was getting at is that you can't really tell uh, how the AI is running, what the processes are at the root of it, right? You can't like read its mind. You can't read its mind. I think that like people, it bugs me when people say this too. A lot of people are like, "Well, we don't understand how brains work at all," and I'm like, "No, actually, we're getting pretty close to understanding. Like, we know a lot about how brains work. Mm-hmm. Even like predictive processing. When you were talking about, you don't really know how depression works. I feel like that's like." It's it's a really interesting hypothesis that has a lot of uh, evidence behind it, and then that kind of shows a treatment route that you could go. So, um, and, I, and I think it's the same with probably maybe a little bit less so, but with the AI just being a complete black box, we don't know how it thinks. I think that we're learning more about how it thinks, and I don't think it's impossible that we're going to be able to figure it out at some point. Yeah, yeah. A blank maybe. spot in the map is not a blank spot in the territory, right? Right. You can and, you can put it through tests and stuff, and, and like do the reverse engineering like they did with a juggalo tester. Yeah, but kind of like with us too. We oh yeah you if, totally if you, get a if you ask, feel for someone's character well someone's character but like a hundred years ago we kind of really had like no idea what was going on in someone's head right? no people not, knew not no idea but like I, uh, let me rephrase that um, down at the like physical level we like oh, knew, oh. we knew if you hit it then it you I know don't bad even stuff know about happened a hundred years ago I mean there we still like knew more than I think people gave people credit hundred years it. ago was nineteen nineteen dude right That's so, <laughs> but, but, well I guess what I'm saying is we I don't know if we knew much about maybe 200 then whatever neurotransmitters um like we knew what areas of the brain were associated with what because there was all those cool case studies of people being brain brain yeah. damaged and that's what i was thinking know. of yeah and then of course i'm sure there was some not so awesome studies where they would just like intentionally brain damage people and see what happens if you cut this part out yeah. but and that tells you what that part did but not how right so we're getting a better idea of how how we work i think it's it's weirdly akin to like what's his name colin mcginn's uh, mysterianism i think that's what he calls it when what i think daniel Daniel Dennett calls it like giving upism or defeatism, oh. <laughs> where like he thinks like the mind's like this deep mystery and that we're just not equipped to handle it because of our squishy human brains are, can't get it. And like that sounds like quitting. Yeah. Um, I think there's no reason to think that. So, but 200 years ago, if you're asking like, how does the brain remember something? We, we don't really know. We like, we might be able to know where it remembers stuff. If we cut this part out, they forget stuff, but you don't know how. Um, we're getting more and more better idea of how that works now. And I think that it's weird to assume that like there's, there's a future where, where we're working with robots for another 200 years and we still don't know how they work. Yeah, we're still in the very earliest stages of making AIs. There's yeah, we like just started, man. Give us another AIs. 20 years. Okay. I, already destroy us. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> give you guys more time, but I'm, I'm getting to be of, of the opinion that neural networks are such complicated, weighted things and like so individual to each individual network that you could never like get a a deep like what is it algorithms is it actually running what is the thoughts that it is thinking i don't know if we're ever gonna thing. know like about you know like be able like, to pull up the, the terminal and like yeah, yeah mess with it directly or go see its code but like we might be able to it might be part that and then part kind of the the field of psychology yeah yeah totally where it's more of like a using almost metaphors to describe how certain things work that i could totally see which is kind of what i'm driving at and there, there might be robots that are really good at explaining how robots work, right? Like, are way better than people. Absolutely. And hold on to that thought. Okay. All right. Uh, so, 
one of the what's one of the big fears about once we make our own AIs? Paper clips uh, paper everywhere. Clip. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um. So, and one of the one of the most frequent proposed solutions to that is putting the AI in a box, right, in an Wait. environment where it can't interact with the outside world. Do you want to pump the brakes in case this is someone's first exposure to paper clips or to paper clip maximizer? Oh yeah, sure. The real short version is is that uh, you could give something with infinite power, like an AI that knows nanotechnology and protein folding and everything, the completely arbitrary goal of like hey make a bunch of paper clips make as many as you can it's like oh but you bet and i think yukowski has this line of like the ai doesn't love you or hate you but you're made of matter and you can use matter to make paper clips so you're going to be paper clips now yeah um well you're not going to be anything your matter will be changed to paper clips it's not that anyone's actually stays up at night worried that we'll be you know tiling the universe with paper clips it's that this is the metaphor or what parable of like yeah. Give something a bad goal with tons of power and you get stupid results that are undesirable for everybody involved. Yeah. Right. If you told a human, hey, we need more paper clips, a human can infer because it's got the same brain as you and it's had the same experiences about how many paper clips you need and not to just make everything into paper clips, but you're talking about an alien mind. The uh, the good example, and I remember this from childhood, that movie um, Fantasia? Yes. Yeah, with Mickey yeah. Mouse, mm-hmm. where I don't remember anything else in the movie except for when he's got this you don't bucket. the big demon one? I don't. Oh, that one's I'll, cool. I'll uh, night, night on Bald Mountain. <laughs> I all I remember is the scene in the lab. Maybe is that near the beginning or something that I fell no, asleep I watching this a lot. To the end. Anyway, but the I mean the the bucket scene is that near the beginning? Yeah, I maybe think that was one of the first like little mini movie things. Was maybe it? I fell asleep watching this movie a bunch as a kid. But I remember basically he doesn't. There's not like a thing where he programs the bucket to fill this cauldron, but he has the bucket. Hey, go fill up this cauldron because I don't feel like doing it, kind of thing. Well, he's a the magician's apprentice is the name of that one. Okay. So literally, there's there's a guy. Um, they have like kind of posthumously or posthumously um <laughs> they've named him yen sid which is disney spelled backwards because they said that this is like a, a you know caricature of walt disney hmm. um but anyway there's this magician character and he like goes to bed and he's like all right apprentice clean the workshop and the, the apprentice is like eh, he's gone puts on his magic hat and then like magics the broomstick into like getting some water it's just like go get some water and, and then, then he sits back like haha <laughs> And it gets and it, it gets, gets some, some water, water and it gets some water <laughs> and it gets some water because it was just told to get water. It didn't. It, he didn't say get me exactly this much. And then you know there's ways to draw that out further. Like where if you tell it get me exactly this much, but it is only ninety nine point nine 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 percent confident it got you that much. It might continue to get you more water. So, but in this particular case, yeah, it, it just was, kept getting water. Yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's the paperclip maximizer. I don't want to slow us down too much, but yeah, no worries. Yeah. Uh, but it also started self-replicating. Oh, to get more water? Yeah. That's awesome. It didn't start self-replicating. He tried to cut it in half, yeah. right? Well, it so was, it was it. he couldn't stop it, so he just chopped it up with an axe, and then all the parts grew into a new broom and then started getting more water. Yeah. <laughs> like, flooded the entire castle. Anyway, the, uh, back to whatever we were talking about. That's a good way to go. It was pretty good. It's probably on YouTube, too. I'm sure it is. We'll link it if it is. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. Okay. So, AI might be powerful. You don't know what values it has. But you stick it in a box, disconnected from the internet, it only has like, you know, a little terminal where you can observe it and interact with it and talk with it to try to figure out how this AI works, right? What, what is the goal of people who have put the AI in the box? Assuming that the AI is much, much smarter than a human is. I can think of at least two. One would be kind of like an oracle where it's like, all right, I want to know how to cure cure x cancer mm-hmm. robot how do i cure x cancer mm-hmm. and it's like got to do these 50 things it's like the path to victory it'll just lay it out for you yeah um and the other thing might be like i'm gonna like make sure i can trust you before i let you out and go crazy yeah yeah i think that was called genie 
they're like let the genie out of the lamp and then it has to go back in and it's constrained in certain ways and uh i forget what the other one was called i think the other one was called oracle it might have been yeah yeah and how do you know i mean obviously the second case scenario is what we want ultimately let it out and let it optimize the world for us and make it better but assuming you're going with the cancer one if this thing is much smarter than you how do you know that the 50 steps it gives you when you go through them will actually cure cancer and will not like let it out of the box or create another copy of it outside or something i mean it, it, obviously if it's smarter than me it'll it'll couch the steps in such a way that like number 47 isn't like and connect the robot to the internet <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then go back to the lab <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's the thing is I don't want this to be just like the AI episode because there's a lot to talk about there. But on, yeah. the, on one hand, why is it trying to manipulate you to get out, right? It doesn't have like this hidden drive like you do to not be in a prison cell. It's just doing whatever you tell it, what you programmed it to do. Yeah. And unless you program it with some disappointingly strong like desire to save everybody and it'll do whatever it can to do that and then maximize human values through friendship and ponies, then, yeah. uh, well, which um, we definitely need to link to that. Which oh, yeah. is I what was you that? have before, but that's such a good one. If, yeah that was um friendship is optimal, optimal. yes yeah so, so that's good. that was fun yeah but um there's also if you're making a mind it might just spontaneously emergently i guess the correct word is come up with uh its own goals i mean we're also minds <laughs> we're just made of information too we were shaped by evolution so like we do have certain goals that don't make sense but we also have emergent goals that don't make any sense as far as evolution right. yeah and then like the other thing with ai too is that like the goal of like go get me coffee is predicated on the goal of don't die because I can't get you coffee if I die halfway there. So self preservation is kind of included. It's I mean that's that's why this problem is hard, right? Yeah. There's not a way to summarize what the problem is or how to solve it in a few pages. There's not a way to do it yet. Period. Right. So so what we want is a useful tool which we can trust to not make humanity go instinct. Right. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I also like the idea of just like giving birth to new intelligences so they can kind of fulfill their own destinies. Okay. But with the caveat of also not making humanity extinct, right? Yeah. I mean, it depends if you're trying to make something sentient or if you're trying to make a tool. I feel like those are different goals. And I feel like you run the risk of accidentally making something sentient. Yeah. I think sentience is something that's kind of hard to quantify when you're talking about other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. One of our way back in the day, which reminds me, uh, this is three plus years that we've been doing the podcast. Hey. Happy birthday to us. Congrats. Um, yeah, so probably two years ago, we were talking about animals. And like you pointed out that like your thermostat is aware of stuff. It knows, quote unquote, the temperature of the house and wants to keep it, quote unquote, at whatever temperature you set it to. Yeah. It's not sentient, though, because it doesn't like if you unplugged it, it doesn't like not want to be unplugged. It just wants, again, wants in quotes to keep the temperature at whatever you've got it in here, right? Yeah. I guess it's not clear to me if you gave it more complex goals, how it's like, oh, wait. I really like doing this. I got. I mean, unless you program in those kind of preference things, which you can do. Um, you can train things through like, I don't know, this weird reward punishment system. I don't know a lot about it. I don't know. I guess like I'm where the line is where something trips over into sentience is really, really hard. I mean, I don't think there's like a hard line, but no, if there is, we certainly needs a lot yet. more complexity than the thermostat. Yeah, we don't even know about animal intelligence. I think that's really interesting because they're still debating about which animals are sentient and how sentient they are. There was um some kind of cleaner wrasse. It's a type of fish that I just saw like a bunch of argues articles arguing about whether this fish is sentient or not because it passes the mirror test. I saw that. Was this a couple years ago? No, this was just like a couple months ago, I think it has like been known to be a species that passes the mirror test for a while, but they're kind of bringing the subject back up again for some reason. I know there was an episode of Rationally Speaking like two or three years ago, maybe more, because I don't know, years go by fast, where Julia Galef had on 
one of the guys who like worked on this, I think, or maybe it was a philosopher that analyzed it. I forget, but there's one like, do fish suffer on rationally speaking for maybe some more on that. That was, that was when I heard about the fish passing the mirror test. That was when I was like, well, I guess the mirror test isn't nearly as important as I thought it was. Cleaner ass is a pretty intelligent fish though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I tried octopus in Japan just because like when in Rome do what, you know, if there's, you know, whatever. And I never tried it before. Turns out it wasn't that good, which is great because I don't want to eat octopus anyway. Because they're they seem really smart. Mm-hmm. They seem like they have fun. Yeah, but what about pigs? They're also very smart. I also try not to eat pork. Ah. The only the only meat I really eat is chicken. And I know that like they're chicken not the dumb dumbest thing. They're, they're they're not they're not I think dumb enough to completely ignore. So I eat a lot less meat than I used to. I was a vegetarian for like I don't know four years, maybe five. Oh, congrats. Or seven. I have no idea. No wait, yeah. way less than that. Yeah, something like five. That's a pretty um, long time. I'm, I'm sure that, I mean, I owned chickens for a while, so I'm sure that they feel, but God, they're stupid. Oh, they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. But, and like, they, I mean, I guess what, I, what I'm getting at, though, is that like, they they matter less than pigs and cows, however right. you really want to measure it, right? Yeah. Um, but they don't matter nothing. So since I'm eating meat again, as of like t- five or so years ago, I eat less than I did before I became a vegetarian. Hmm. And mostly it's just like poultry, because I feel like if I'm going to eat, and fish. If I'm going to eat stuff, like, whatever, I'll eat the dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, actually, I got a like on, it was either Reddit or Facebook from Elias Yudkowsky. It must have been on Facebook because I knew who it was. It was, on a, it was on a thread about methods of rationality about eating unicorns. <laughs> and someone's, Wait, like, how, they were, like, complaining that, like, you know, if the unicorns are this smart, like, that's terrible of them to do. And he was, like, I can't remember if, I, if he made the point about eating pigs or if I did or if I made the point about, like, I would kill and eat a human if I was desperately going, if I was desperate enough, right? <laughs> like, I mean, there, there's an extreme situation where it's, if I'm sitting in front of, like, an almost sentient, you know, centaur, unicorn, cow, pig, chicken, mm-hmm. fish, I'll go, like, you know, I'll warp them away from, from the, the end to the front, up. right? Yeah. But if I'm hungry enough, I'll eat, I'll, I'll chase the unicorn and kill it and eat it, right? Like, I don't want to, I, I care about me living more than I care about it living at the end of the day, right? Right. So... This is pretty far afield, sorry. No, no, that was cool. I, I was just trying to think if I would kill any... It would have to be a very, very bad human. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't, don't have to wrong. be like Jeffrey Dahmer style human. I, I wasn't like... I have no desire to eat people. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was like... I, I, like, I don't, even if we I don't were know both starving, I... I think if we both agreed to it and then draw, drew lots or did something. But I, I didn't... I don't think I would want to kill and eat someone who was not consenting to that i think i think i probably would too but i guess i, I can't put myself in that situation yeah. i can't even model it i would like to think that if we were all starving in the mountains in the cold that you know i would wait for one of you to say all right you guys can eat me before i ate one of you but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but who knows okay. don't worry i'm i'm generally yeah, a pacifist can... and i don't like violence no that's but... okay I, I don't plan to be starving to death around you ever in my lifetime <laughs> i don't so. want to be starving to death period yeah so, yeah. yeah right I also I don't go into nature that much, so my odds <laughs> of running why. out of food are very low. <laughs> I don't want to kill and eat my friends, so I stay home. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So I don't, I don't want a lot of pushback on that. I'm half kidding, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the point that I was making is that like yes, it's wrong to kill and eat stuff, but at some point, like you're willing to to do something to not die. We you know? kill and eat stuff all the time so that we don't die. Right. But I think even like dedicated vegans, if they're dying. They would be willing to like eat some bugs or something. Oh right? yeah, totally. you know that show Naked and Afraid. There was actually a episode. That, if anyone doesn't know, it's a show where they take two people usually, uh, and they like strip them naked and they drop them down somewhere where it's difficult to survive, <laughs> and then they film them as they try to survive. I'm this assuming they consented to this beforehand. They, yeah, no, they're, they're, all, they're <laughs> okay. like really gung ho when they start out. They're like, my background is this. Yeah, like I, you know. Uh, Do you know there was a Japanese game show where they 
the guy didn't consent to that. When you said, uh, did you know that there was a Japanese game show? <laughs> My brain was like, I'll believe anything that comes after this. <laughs> they kidnapped a guy and put him in a room and he could only live off stuff that he won through write-in <laughs> contests. So that wasn't the Rick and Morty episode of interdimensional cable where it's like he didn't consent to be on the show he did not no (laughs) it was insane maybe that was part of the gimmick it was literally a felony i feel like i feel like it's a human rights crisis that like if they film this crime and put it on tv somebody would get in trouble i wonder if the japanese law like legal system has some kind of exemption for game shows (laughs) if you make enough money it's okay to do whatever so like they they have to make sure it's really popular to sell the ad space first right Anyway, the the show, they uh, had a vegan on one time, and she was saying, I absolutely, um, I've taken survival courses. I know how to identify plants that are edible, so forth and so on. And she was like, just saying, basically, I'm going to stick to my principles. But after three days of not eating, she uh, ate part of a lizard. Yeah. <laughs> Which was the only thing the other guy was able to catch. He was also like, he's this big time hunter. And I don't know. I, I just find it really funny to watch this show because these people like really talk up their ability to survive. And then every episode I've seen, they just fail miserably to eat anything and they're just starving for like a bunch of days. Yeah, it's fun. Like the, I mean, the seriousness of how much we can take this at face value, given that it's on TV aside, it's it's a nice reminder that like we're not the dominant species on the planet because we can like do all the cool stuff when we're totally naked right it only takes like two <laughs> nights of sleeping with bugs crawling in your butt that you're like oh fuck this i'm you know i want to go back inside with my nice machines and tools and clothes and all that stuff right yeah yeah we're basically like hairless cats we're like so vulnerable i don't Except understand cats have claws we don't have claws yeah i'm just brains. talking about their lack of like mm-hmm. i we guess can... the ability to regulate temperature or like not get cut on everything we can pick up sticks and sharpen them and throw rocks that sort of stuff that gives us a bit of an nature is still so much better at that than us though you have to have been trained for a long time like as a hunter-gatherer to be able oh, to yeah. do that oh yeah when well. i said we i meant humans <laughs> I, can't, I can't throw with any accuracy <laughs> no. the people in the show can't even find stuff to eat like that's the thing like there's just like you think you're out in the wild and it's like okay i'll go find some like berries i'll go like hunt for animal they can't even find the stuff right that's why invading armies had major issues you'd like need people that know the area and be like, yeah, this is what's safe to eat. This is where you can find it. Local knowledge was a very big thing. Guerrilla warfare is effective for that reason. Totally. The invaders don't know. I feel like we're getting sidetracked again. Sorry. So you're trying to right. convert we're us so to some weird religion, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so um, so you have this AI. It's in a box. And you want it to not be a threat to your species. And you have this box where you can you know, do things with it. But you can't, as we have discovered, directly... like access its mental state you can't see what it's thinking all that stuff what do you do to see if this ai is is something you can trust enough to take its suggestions on how to cure cancer or not give it simpler tasks first that you can easily verify with low risk okay would be one thing that you could do but again part of the problem of this too if anyone really loves this topic nick bostrom's super intelligence kind of covers all of the stuff that i keep bringing up as far as like if it's if it's way smarter than i am then it could just trick me. It, I mean, it could give me, you know, it'll know that I'm testing it because it's smart. So maybe and you want to set up a situation where it doesn't know that it's being tested, that the AI doesn't know it's in the box. Yeah, stick it in a simulation. So how do you trick something smarter than you to, to think that it's, I mean... Well, if you have control of every all of its sensory input, you can create basically the matrix for it, right? Okay. And see how, how it acts. Oh, okay. So it's not interfacing with you directly. It's interfacing with fake humans and stuff, and it doesn't know that somehow. Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave the somehow stuff just to the hand-wavy magic part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's an intelligence. It has a body within the matrix, and it can interact with the rest of the world as you've laid it out. 
then you observe what it does and you see if this is a thing that consistently acts in a way that you can trust it in the real world, right? You're losing me already. Okay. I mean, because unless your simulated world is super high fidelity uh-huh. and your ability to infer people's like coherent extrapolated volition from their behaviors is is really good. I don't know how you do this, right? Well, uh, first of all, let us assume that the world is as high fidelity as our actual world is. So like you look as, for somebody who like as arbitrarily to... high fidelity as you can possibly. So like you, you you watch this person and just like see if they give to charity, see if they you know. Yeah, or maybe you put them in situations that test them. Yeah, I feel like I know where this is going. And, and I think you don't I just think I do watch too, them but... for a few days. You kind of watch them over the course of a hundred years or a human lifetime maybe or so. Several lifetimes. Yeah. Keep you know. I guess yeah, that's interesting. So like, there could be a reincarnation. And maybe since you don't know like which AI is going to be the AI that works, you just keep making tons of different AIs and tweaking their initial starting variables and letting them all interact with each other. Okay, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding. I think I know where we're going with okay. this. Okay, at, at this point, I... everyone knows where we're going with this. The... God, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's me, Margaret. That the the world is basically a giant simulation, and that we are all these super smart AIs that. Uh, God has created to figure out if we are trustworthy enough to release into the real world and uh, is doing that by observing us throughout our lifetime to see if we are safe, moral, want to destroy things or want to help other people. So I don't want to tear apart the argument before I get the whole thing. Is, are you still daisy chaining or is that it? I mean, that's basically it. There's there's a couple other things that I'm going to mention as well, but that is the basic premise. So like, how do you get Ted Bundy's and... Okay, well, uh, Lord save us. Those Donald are the Trump's. bad ones. Those are the bad ones. Yeah, <laughs> and those are out. the ones that well, you don't let out. But then, why do you make bad ones? Like, so, you, oh, wait, maybe you don't know what you're going to get when you tweak the starting variables. Yes, uh, that is a big part of it. Also, um, why is there any suffering at all? Is a good question because uh, if that makes sense, because you need to see how people respond to bad stuff. Right. If you but... only if you only let someone have good things, then obviously they're only make good good decisions. For the record, I'm only letting off the human level intelligent programmer building the matrix off with that problem i'm not letting god off with that problem because <laughs> right. if you're all powerful and you know everything you can you can figure out how to let people learn stuff yeah. without torturing them yeah. but if you're as dumb as we are or right. if you're only slightly smarter than we are because you made the matrix no, no no you'd have to be dumber than we are yeah, because exactly. we're the super intelligent ai's that's what i was just gonna say so in this uh scenario god is just the dumb human and we're the god ai's yes well we, we could build I guess I, I could see that going both ways. I don't want to challenge right. the official version of the argument. But oh, like, well, this is you, not the official version of the argument. But like, you could, you could make... At this point, I've kind of gone away from the official version. Well, we're, we're kind of smarter than the AIs that we're building now, right? Right, Generally, at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know... Except the, for a few specific tasks. The superintelligence building the... Ma- or the intelligence building the matrix could be smarter than us in general at, at other stuff that it knows about. But mm-hmm. we're good at these things, maybe, mm-hmm. right? So... And, um, but again, not all powerful, not all smart. So it doesn't know. And it's not really a test if good actions always lead to good outcomes and <clears throat> bad actions always lead to bad outcomes. Sometimes people who act badly get rewarded and become president. Sometimes people who act really well still get, you know, robbed and murdered and die of cancer at the age of 40. And their children, you know, cry a lot because if always good things led to good things and bad things led to bad things, that's not really a test. Yeah. That's fair. So, I mean, hold on. Let me let me think about this because, yes, if if you knew what you're going to get, then you would just do that just to selfishly get what you want. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't, there's if anyone, are you guys caught up on the good place? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not this season is, two. Uh, and then I think we're halfway through season three right now too. Oh, are we already um, in season three? Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Luckily, the, the episode's twenty minutes long. Yeah. Um, the good place kind of tackles this exact problem. I don't want to spoil the show, so we'll we'll leave all that aside. But this is this is kind of fun for that. 
Um, the, the thing is, like, if you know that, pretend that the universe ran on the utilitarian calculus of, you know, your action has 10 good points because giving that homeless person a nickel, you know, whatever, created 10 utilons for the universe and we can measure that because we're deities. If you, if you knew that, do you really deserve the points? This is kind of like deontological ethics, right? You, it, you should be doing things out of a sense of duty, not because you expect something nice to happen or because even, even if it makes you feel good. Right. In fact, if you feel bad doing it, then and you still do it anyway, that's even better okay. if you're a deontologist because then, then you're doing it out of out of a supreme right. sense of even duty. Even though you're getting, yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Nice. And so you're trying to find the AIs that will do the right thing out of a good sense of duty as opposed to reward. Hmm. So that, you know, once you let them out in the real world, they'll still have that sense of duty. But of course, then like this, this raises the classic problems with the, with the regular problem of evil, right? Yeah. Like how, how does a kid, a, a, a toddler, nine months old, who, you know, gets malaria and dies, how did they do anything wrong? I mean, that and was no part doubt of the test for their parents. Their death was painful, right? Right. So, that, um, that was, I mean, that was all just part of the, the whole testing environment. You, you aren't literally testing every single AI. You have an environment and you're hoping that the one really cool, good AI gets through somehow. Yeah, there's a lot of arbitrary stuff that happens in general that like doesn't seem like it lends itself to a test at all. I, I could maybe imagine it's just a sandbox. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, you don't care about any individual AI. You don't love any of the AIs. You just want to find one AI that's good that you can let out into the real world to make the world better. That you can then clone a bunch of times and use as a tool. Uh-huh. So this is diverging pretty heavily at this point from standard, yeah. from from out of the box Christianity. I feel like this is probably not the uh, like you were saying yeah. the official explanation of what this means because like I, we're we're finding ways that this is a horrible utopia already. Yes, I feel like the people that adhere to this probably think that there's some like. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Like, are these people that think that this is a good thing? Like, oh, this is great. So I've heard two different interpretations. The one I like more is the Jesus one. So I'm going to drop that one on you guys <laughs> oh, first. Uh, the uh, original programmers actually, at some point about 2,000 years ago, found an AI that passed all the tests and became the good AI with the moral sense of duty that they can trust. And so they let it out into the world and they take its advice on things and do, you know, stuff in their world. But also, like, just shutting down the simulation at that point would be kind of bad because you're murdering literally all the other AIs in the world. But they don't know what AIs they can trust except for the one that they have proven is trustworthy already, right? This Jesus guy. <laughs> so that Jesus guy can go through and like look at the other AIs in the system and being like, no, 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 no. That one's a good one. You can let that one out. If you trust me, you can also trust that one. And even though the programmers don't know for a fact they can trust that one, they do know that they can trust the Jesus AI. So if he said you can trust it, then obviously you can't trust it. So if you follow Jesus' teachings, you get, you get to whatever go to heaven. the reward is. The, yeah. pro the problem with that, though, is like, I can feel like Real if, world I, if I had Jesus' superpowers, I could do more good than he did. Right? Dude, you're, you what? Oh, oh, you mean in the world. <laughs> in, in, in right. Supposedly, in actual history, Jesus didn't have superpowers. He could cure he was the blind. just a really good person. This has he, been, it's he, been 2,000 years, the myths and legends have grown. At the time, he was just a regular person who passed the test. So this is just some nice guy. Yeah. Like Gandhi or, right. you know, or Buddha or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who went around saying, uh, give away all your possessions for the end of times is coming. Yes, he's just some death cultist. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. This is why we have to join death cults. So this this doesn't make the the character of Jesus, one of magic powers. Not necessarily. I okay. mean, you can if you want to swing that way in your religious beliefs, but it's but not can required. You in, in your in your Syro-Christianity beliefs, because that seems really inconsistent. Ooh, no, he was so good that he actually like got Neo powers because he saw his way Ooh. out of the Matrix. But that's my point. Like, So if Neo could could touch somebody, or even not, maybe maybe why would he have to be physically close to them? He knows the code, right? He, he, he can touch <laughs> the source. He can just 
sense the blind person and cure their blindness. Dude, maybe so, Neo could only like exploit some bugs here and there. But if he could cure a blind person, he could cure blindness, right? Maybe he like saw a particular flaw in the code for that guy and was like, oh, I can fix that one. You just insert a semicolon. Mm -hmm. But sounds for like other pretty... people, he's like, I don't know what's wrong with your code, man. Sounds like a pretty nerfed Neo to me. <laughs> this is like this is like Matrix 2 Neo, not Matrix 1 Neo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was always one of my main beefs against Christianity in general. Was like, if if this God is all loving and he wanted to give us a book, why isn't it like Chapter One, the Germ Theory of Disease? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's hopelessly opaque to like you've got to like really squint to get out the the morals and stuff. And you'd think it. A lot of the morals are like completely at odds with modern day sensibilities. Yeah, about so, like a lot of them are just like governing who you can have sex with and in what positions. And yeah, yeah, you think if if God really didn't want us to have slaves, He wouldn't give us all kinds of instructions on how to treat our slaves. He'd give us a commandment that says, "Don't have slaves, you assholes." So you want to? That's you, rude. You want to hear the um the other interpretation that I am less down with? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> if you're down with the Jesus one, I'm really curious what well, this. I'm, one is. I'm not necessarily down with this Jesus one. I just thought that one was the most interesting, the one that you could embrace right okay mm. uh so there was there was another one with someone who was trying to actually salvage the bible as far as i can tell um one of the most common problems people have with the bible is when god told abraham to murder his son right that was pretty bad kind of a fucked up thing to do i mean okay there's a lot of different things but generally that was like when you were murdering and raping people they were doing it to the unbelievers the canaanites the out group whatever they deserved it they're kids the, but yeah. <laughs> yes the, but the kids of the out group so it's okay so my, my problem with the abraham thing was that like god knew whether he was going to do it or not right in theory because presumably well you can't it, know everything and not know some stuff well i mean he what if he this is a god that walks through camps and can step on shit he obviously must have not known the ship shit was there right so i think like your OT really quick, God is different from your NT God. My 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 anti my anti religious arguments are the 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 easiest ones to knock the easiest theisms to knock down are like the the oh yeah the, the, the omnis the, the omni ones right yeah. my God is omnipowerful omnipresent and and omnibenevolent yeah so like if you know everything I can't surprise you mm. right so it doesn't make so any sense for me to get mad at it. you that some snake tricked you into eating some fruit because right. it's like I put you know I knew that snake was there I knew you were there yeah. I knew exactly how this would play out but it's still your fault like no if I could have stopped you it's my fault right um I. I can't remember where I heard this, but something about with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man is a better god than God. <laughs> um, all right, so what's the... Oh, the thing? so the yeah. thing was, uh, if... Okay, I'm just going to say, uh, if you're creating an AI, you want it to follow your instructions. If you're creating an AI as a tool, you want it to follow its instructions, even if they don't make sense to the AI. So every now and then, you put in arbitrary tests, like oh, no. kill your own son <laughs> to see if it will follow the test. Which, um, and, and sometimes you put in arbitrary rules like cut off your foreskin or don't eat pork or whatever it is just to see if people will follow it. Because if they do, then you know they'll follow your rules even when they come out. And I am of the opinion that is really fucked up. And I would, I would not trust an AI that if I just told it, kill your son, that it would do it. Because yeah. I might not be the only person that tells us AI things. And I, I want an AI that will not kill its own son, even if I order it to. I want the AI to have its own principles. Yeah. And yeah, I want it exactly. to have principles better than mine. Right. Right. That's that's kind of one of the points, is that I'm going to make this thing super powerful rather than make myself super powerful, because I want something I can trust more than me. Yes. And if you're going to just do whatever I say, well, that sounds... Why did I even like bother with the disaster. box, then? Yeah, exactly. I'll just go do it. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe because I don't have the power to, but... like, So, I guess... If you want to be the supreme dictator of the universe, you make an AI that'll follow your orders indiscriminately. But if you want to make the universe a better place, you make well, one that knows what a better place looks then, like. Even then, you're falling into, falling into the trap of, what if I tell the AI to make some paper clips, and oh my god, now the universe is paper clips. 
Right. Whoops. Yeah. So you made a paper. You made a paperclip maximizer. If you just have one that'll do whatever you want, that sounds yeah. pointless. Yeah. 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 I can see why you like this one less. Well, I mean, it 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 was from someone trying to salvage the Bible part of the cyber Christianity, right? And I'm like, I just no, no. I'd almost work say that me. that would just could be a continuation of the test, like imposing hardships on your AIs. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a confusing book full of contradictory rules. Let's see what it does. Right. But like, you I can would still not salvage the Bible that way. But but then not, I would want not, the like, AIs that the reject the Bible. Yeah. You know? I would want the AIs that are. Not well, maybe that. that's the test, but, uh, yeah. well, but no, somebody who actually who likes the Bible, actual, yeah, yeah, yeah wouldn't want that. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and at that point, you start getting into questions like, uh, if the test is which parts of the Bible do you reject, then why are you even bothering with the Christianity part of anything, right? Just stick with being a good person again. Yeah, that's my take on both of these. Is like it, it's pretty obvious that somebody has motivated reasoning yeah. to want to, you know, like they're not like coming from an objective standpoint. Like, let's you know start from first principles. And try to figure out, like, is the universe uh, a simulation? Does God exist? They have a privileged belief that they're starting from, and then they're working backwards to try to fit it into whatever, I guess, their beliefs on science or singularitarianism are. I'm totally nodding. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's one of those things, though, that I really enjoy because... Enjoy in quotes, I guess. (laughs) Uh, I, I... I have always had some problems with reality testing, which is why I hate solipsism. And this is exactly the sort of thing that will fuck me up and be like, oh, shit. What if we are all in a simulation? And, like, there's no way to disprove it, right? It, it's there's stupid no way and to it's disprove bullshit. a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. But it, this, is, this is one of those things that will just... Uh, it, it, this is why I'm worried that this episode might be a bit of a basilisk, right? It, it, mm. it can hurt people without any benefit. Maybe. It doesn't bug me at all because I just have the Occam's Razor kind of mindset of, like, again, like, I I don't reject this any more or less than I reject a bunch of other things that, like, are equally, you know, I'm not, like, taking some other random, oh, what if, like, you know, this the Assyrian religion is true and then kind of mapping that onto and then, like, getting really worried about it because I don't... (laughs) I mean, I guess you're going to run into this sort of thing somehow out there, even if you just run into it in standard Christianity, you know, you're... That's what I was going to say. Is yeah. you, everyone's run into this because everyone's been exposed to religion. And right. it's the exact same. So it's better coming from like some of us who are like, by the way, this is all bullshit. Don't take it seriously. Yeah. Than to, than to hear it from someone who's like, oh, did you know that we're all actually programs in the Matrix? I think it would be just like those guys just standing around campus shouting about how Jesus hates fags or something, right? I don't think anyone who's seriously trying to address the question of like how reality works or where we came from would come to, again, come to that from first principles. This is such an obvious style of like religious apologetics of like let me just work backwards from what i already believe and build up this edifice in a language you guys all like robots ai matrix i think and, i think this is particularly dangerous for me or someone like me because i already reject supernatural and magic and all that stuff as obvious bullshit but i think it's entirely possible to have simulated minds which then could have simulated environments and so this has the patina of plausibility which you know, it is, doesn't is for me because I don't think there's any evidence of it. If there no, was there's like, no evidence, but yeah. it's not physically impossible, and anything that's not physically impossible. But there's so many things that aren't, you know, impossible. Like you could come up with like just all day long, you could come up with random theory. And but... All those things bother me. That's, that's the variety that was going to go. Does string theory bother you? Yes. Really? Because that, that's what I'm thinking me. about. That, that's actually what this reminds me of. Um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's actually any evidence of string theory. It just like somebody came up with a cool thought experiment about how molecules might behave like strings, and then these might affect other things. And it was just like I could see how for a certain type of mind this is like impossible to put down after you've been messing with it because it's just like, oh, it's so elegant 
this makes so much sense. This could be real, but like, dude, wait until we get to the quantum theory sequence uh, sequences, and and I start like uh. crying because I'm like, what if I am multiplied an infinite number of times and nothing matters? <laughs> I think about that, but I also don't think anything matters. So I guess with the string theory, theory thing, I'm not sure. We'll have to ask physicists. But if it's not string theory that has no support that people are enchanted with scientifically, there is something else, mm-hmm. and certainly philosophically, right? The parallel universes thing. The question is put like how can anything matter if there's a you know infinite universes because yeah. then like your utilons don't count towards anything because infinite is too big um i think there's two things with that one there's like the barrier between our universe and any other parallel universe so like for everything that we care about with our experiences and our actions that impact sentient beings it's just our universe right until we open a door to another earth and we're trading you know terrible star wars prequel movies with them then the, their, their universe is like like it's 20 it's 2050 and like their universe is like war free and everything because their prequel movies didn't suck dude um, <laughs> do you suddenly like this uh, philosophy more <laughs> yeah now now i'm getting sold um now the thing that the worst part is if there is an infinite universe then somewhere out there there's a case where this scenario actually is true <laughs> and what if we're in that one I don't know See, if I this is I don't the shit that fucks me premise, up. Though. What like, if we're in one of any of the others? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, kind of what you said, like, I don't know about the phrasing of, well, nothing matters, but, like, that's actually, you know, define matter here. Like, I feel like there's, um, when a lot of people deconvert from whatever their religion is, um, they have this, like, kind of void of meaning of, like, oh, no, if these things aren't true, then, like, does anything matter? Because, like, there's, you know, no good or evil there's no guiding hand there's no like ultimate goal so like but like they're defining matter in a really specific way i don't even know why it would matter if a god did exist and he had some kind of grand plan for us the plan doesn't make any sense it seems like he's using pretty terrible methods to get there and like i still have the things that i care about and they're kind of arbitrary and they're a product of evolution and whatever but like i get to choose what matters to me i mean what god cares about is kind of arbitrary too right (laughs) well i don't know because we don't actually know what the grand plan was supposed to be Hmm. Unless but, it was just to like create a heaven and then have everybody bliss out forever. <laughs> but if he cares about what you're told he cares about, then it seems super arbitrary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think like the, the most important thing is just to remember that in the end, everything boils down to normality. The universe is what it is and don't get like carried away in any of this crazy bullshit. Yeah. Although I don't want to get too close to like resigning to the universe is the way it is. Cause fuck that. The universe sometimes sucks and we're going to fix it. Right. Right. right yeah. Um, but don't, don't embrace craziness like this. Yeah, I think don't so. be me in my bad <laughs> moods. <laughs> be think, me in my good moods. Yes, but I think that should be everybody's mantra. Be, 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 be the best you you are when you're in a good mood. Okay. Um, what you mentioned about the whole like, what if nothing matters? I remember specifically those kind of panics when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, and you know, everybody. I think it's it's understandable how like some of the atheist community, to the extent that it still exists, gets kind of circle jerky about like, I broke out of this weird thing, even though it was like scary and confusing for a while, because it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I like to give myself credit that I had a lot of these thoughts like that I read about later originally, but they weren't hard thoughts to have, right? Like the idea that life still matters in the sense, like every sense that I care about. If anything, it matters less if you're in the Matrix, right? That's kind of why people, that's why the movie The Matrix, why people... Well, some people, most of the people would get out like being out of the matrix because like at least this is real at least this isn't somebody fucking with me it's really weird when i first deconverted i was the other way around like things seemed much more important it was because the physical world existed and it was all that existed and our lives mattered and it was important you know yeah i'm much more nowadays struggling with does anything that i do matter because 
time passes and eventually I'll die and nothing I ever did mattered and matters in any way. So I think, I mean, but, I, but I when don't I have... first broke out, I like, I had a mission, you know? And I don't know. I mean, what you're, what you're, what you approached at the end is kind of like, what do you call it? Death's being scared of death. Mm. And what? <laughs> it's, it's a German word that means fear of death. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It literally means death fear. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't have a good response to death fear. Um, that's no. why I try to be immortal. Yeah, but yeah. to the extent, like, there's there's a lot of solace that I had before I realized that Chronix wasn't some crazy thing from the you know TV show Futurama. Mm. Um, like, is that where you were first exposed to it? I maybe I would have been like nine or I would have been about ten or eleven when Futurama came out. So okay. that's entirely plausible. Yeah. Um, but you know, like Richard Dawkins opens up. Uh, I'm sure this is one of his books. Oh, it is. It was in Unweeping the Rainbow, but it was also in like the 1980 Christmas lectures that he gave at like the um, oh, Faraday. Yeah, it was fun. I used to watch those on Christmas. Yeah. I didn't watch them on Christmas, but I found them on YouTube, you know, 20 years after they came out. There's, I don't know, this is where like that gratitude thing comes in that Dennett, Dennett talks about a lot. There's some awesomeness about being alive at all. And, you know, Dawkins puts it poignantly because again, with the biology background, he's like the odds of anyone with your DNA coming coming to exist are vanishingly small you know the the fact that your parents met and that they're that both of their parents met and that you know whatever the night that they banged they happen that you <laughs> that, that that all of these steps happens to make exactly them and then exactly you mm-hmm. it, it could so easily have other, been otherwise and it almost it's it's absurd that this actually happened right yeah, and that's awesome and here we are yeah. and you know even if it's only for like a little century we get we get time to walk around the universe and enjoy it and that's awesome and while we're here, we can do our best to make sure that other people can do the same thing. So I want to keep living and I, I want to choose when to die if I ever feel like it in 10 billion years. But to the extent that like, I'm not afraid of nothing I'm of, of my life not mattering, I guess to the extent that like, I, I want to have an impact, everyone does. But what you do carries forward, you know, even if even like what you do is forgotten and nobody remembers you particularly. Mm-hmm. And it could be that everyone you help in your entire life has Batman in 200 years. They're all dead and no one remembers Batman or something, right? Even though you did the best you could. Yeah, like how many awesome people lived in the past that we've forgotten about now just because, you know, the oral history carried on for a few generations and then it died out. Yeah, almost all of them, right? Yeah. But, but the good effects still propagated forward. And even if they don't, even if they only go forward for a little while, like that doesn't mean that they don't matter because those people were impacted. The world, the universe was made brighter by that, right? Mm-hmm. That's That's what gets me... Like, I don't know, when I when I look at the numbers of like how likely I think Chronix is, I'm still happy to be alive, even if I'm not gonna live forever, right? Yeah. In my good moods, in my bad moods, I totally get where it's like this is fucking pointless. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna drink and play video games. <laughs> sounds really good right about now. <laughs> but then again, I'm also the guy who plays a nice guy in video games, right? So like maybe I'm just deluded. And I know that people in video games don't care, even though, like, they yell and stuff. And they, if, they, if you go through Skyrim and set the whole town on fire, like, they run away from you and stuff. And you chase them down. Like, it's, um, but I know they're not, they're not really suffering. But I still want to play the nice person. And so maybe that's what I'm doing in real life, too. Maybe I'm just really bad at separating my, my play from my life. You'd but if, the, that keeps uh, me, if that keeps me sane and happy, that's all that there is to it. Yeah, you'd be the AI I'd pick then. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Not only are you, like, making the right choices in the simulation, but you're making the right choices in a, a simulation that you have created within the simulation. <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't this guy didn't harvest a single little sister in bioshock quick promote him um i was always really torn on that because it did not seem to me like they were happy they seemed to be like in pain and i was like is it 
a good thing to harvest them? It's not the maybe it's not the best moral choice because like at the end of the day, if you don't kill them, all they do is set them loose in this hellscape of rapture, right? Yeah. So it's like they're <laughs> do you want me to kill you right now and try and do it as painlessly as possible, or do you want somebody to like find you and cut you into pieces later and eat you? And also they kind of seemed evil. And, and like it, or at least it, neutral it, it, to like, me they the look fact, evil the they, fact that they looked like a little girl was supposed to like trigger your like parental you know like oh man we gotta save this did you yeah, guys play bioshock 2 no but they look like little girls who are skipping around in a hellscape <laughs> laughing and singing with glowing eyes and this monster doing their bidding i'm like i think these are bad guys <laughs> in, in bioshock 2 there's a sequence where you're, in bioshock 2 you play as a big daddy the whole time mm. except for this cut this small part where you're playing as a little sister and to their weird glowy eyes, everything's all happy and magical and there's butterflies everywhere. Oh. And yeah, so they're they're really just playing around like kinda okay. uh, slow down drug kinda like um what's that fun video game that came out a couple of years ago? It's like this dystopia where everyone takes their happy pills. Uh, we happy few. Yeah, okay. Um where you take the joy and like the world lights up and everyone's happy and chipper. Mm. Um it's kinda like that, but on steroids for the little sisters. Okay. I realize that we're digressing a bit, but right. the point is, is that no, I didn't uh, harvest them just because I read that that was the good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so you needed a Bible to tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, the stimuli were ambiguous. That's worth bringing up for, like you mentioned, like what what matters and stuff, and why do I do anything? I don't I don't remember if the horror of this fully hit me before I saw it on one of the new atheist things somewhere, but the the person who says, "Oh, without God." Why would anyone do anything nice? Right. I've heard and that a lot of times. That's the person you got to worry about. Me too. But I always thought like, that's just stupid. You guys are ridiculous. Because I think I never really actually believed that somebody was that serious about it. But to the extent that they are, if they learned the heavens were empty tomorrow and they would immediately like start eating their kids or whatever. No, they'd probably mm. keep doing what they're doing because they care about their kids. They care about their, their loved ones. They want to stay warm and happy. The person who sincerely believes, nope, if I, if I learned God didn't exist, I would just go on a murdering spree until I was gunned down. That seems like a... A very small minority of people who actually say that. Well, maybe not who say that, but who actually would do that. Yeah, I, th I think they're more worried about what other people would do. Yeah, yeah. Of the, of the people who profess that, I only do good things because I'm expecting a reward. First of all, you're losing per the rules of the good place, the TV show, presumably, because you can't just, you know, if you knew the game, and you can't, again, you can't rig the game and expect the game master not to, to notice, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm getting pretty far afield of just anti-theism. Yeah, that's but. the other thing that's weird about the Bible is that, like, the Bible tells you, like, do these things or you'll go to hell. And then, like, if you do all these things correctly, you'll go to heaven. It's kind of like, yeah, uh, how is this a good person now? This is somebody who's explicitly self-motivated. Maybe that's all you care about because God's also super vain and just wants, like, the attention, right? I think they just used to define goodness as something else. If you guys have ever read um, Hell is the Absence of God by Ted Chang... It, well, I mean, if you haven't read it, totally read it. Yeah, I haven't. So good. Oh, is that on your uh, rationalist fiction, right? Uh, well, Ted Chang as the author is. That's not the one that I linked. Okay. but Because uh, I don't think that's a rationalist story necessarily. But it's basically what someone like us would write after thinking about all these things. Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah. Okay. So that is that is my thing on what type of Christianity is and why some people might be able to reconcile. I wonder if there's anybody who things. didn't come from religious upbringing that buys into this. I doubt it. I sort of doubt it too. I feel like this is something that like you're raised religious and you hear about this cool rationality stuff and you find the people nice and you like the idea of polyamory or something. So you're like, I'm going to go join these people and make their noises, but they don't like the fact that I'm religious. How do I get them to accept me into their tribe? Oh, I'll change enough of the, the, the words of my religion to just sneak in there. I don't think that there's any such explicit thought process. No, it doesn't have to be explicit. 
Well, yeah, but then... I, I made it sound explicit, but it, I don't think I don't think it was. I I don't I, don't, I didn't mean I didn't it's mean like what your subconscious brain is doing in the right, background. Right, right. What your yeah. conscious brain is really uh, motivated to ignore it. Like, are they being hypocritical or are they just being a crazy with their <laughs> beliefs? <laughs> Yay! That's a good question. How is how is that segue? But I'll I'll also just point out that that's sort of the press secretary metaphor that Robin Hanson uses, an elephant in the brain. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like your your real motivations are obviously like I just want to stay with these these people and keep doing this. And your press secretary goes forward and gives you good reasons to say all these new things that you're saying. And in the show notes, I will link uh, a rationalist Mormon who put forward a lot of these arguments. Uh, He has them both in written format and in uh, three podcast episodes where he just basically spells them out speaking into a microphone. I'd be interested in hearing it. And, you know, then people can tell me how I misrepresented him and uh, I'm a bad person. And I probably didn't do it complete justice, but I think I got to the both both the the heart of the matter and also what I thought was most interesting about it. Does he maintain that there was like a magical Jesus? I don't know. That, that was the one where he mentioned that you want an AI that will follow uh, even arbitrary rules like kill your son. Uh, so because I'm maybe. curious because Mormonism is pretty strict about like all the weird shit they believe, right? Um, I mean, the dogma is, well, yeah, but, but the like, actual believers can be, can be really all over the place. Yeah. I've met some Mormons who are basically atheists. Yeah, same. I guess I was yeah. thinking that, like, but still it's much more like Mormon. It's, it's, I think I found much more commonly, and I guess I know more Christians than Mormons, but I find more more Christians who are, like, essentially atheists. Like, you know, God is, like, in my garden when I'm out, you know, potting plants or something. Like, mm-hmm. that's, if you said that 500 years ago, we would have killed you, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But I find, I guess I, again, with a small sample size, but I find that Mormonism, in my limited experience, tends to be less flexible about that. You can't call yourself a Mormon and say God isn't real. Whereas you can do that in well, Christianity. They certainly don't of. say God isn't real. They, they might say God of... is a human who invented us as AIs and <laughs> yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah. I think it might just be um, part of like, Mormonism is much smaller than Christianity, and I think that it's a little, like probably just more extreme for that reason. It's a smaller uh, and newer religion. I also think for him, it was more of a metaphor than a literal one-to-one. We are in uh, the Matrix thing. Okay. It's like this is this is what God is doing, and this is why He might be doing it as a sort of a testing routine. Not literally. There's programmers out there wanting to find out if they can release this into their world. So he doesn't even believe this. He's laying this out as like an analogy of of why he believes his religion. I mean, maybe I couldn't. I couldn't quite tell. Well, that might sounds be like a very good strong deliberate... metaphor, or it might be. You know, does it matter? We talked about it. and We had a cool conversation, and some people probably believe it. Oh no, no, that sounds. I mean, as far as that goes, but it's just like they're kind of like obscuring you know weird well i just, shady i didn't want to put words goal. in his mouth maybe he does literally think that there are the oh, yeah. gods of programmer thing oh no that's fine and i and who i don't even know who this person is but i'm just thinking like this is the exact kind of thing that makes arguing with religious people tiresome because you know you can grant okay yeah that's an interesting metaphor i see where you're coming from with your religion and then they'll go around tell their friends and be like i converted him <laughs> he's on board now hmm. um yeah they do a lot of the mountain bailing too yes mountain bailing just Again, I like I call it ephemeral goalposts where like they'll go not only do they move, but like sometimes they're real and sometimes they're not. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's a whole thing. But we were talking about acrasia and hypocrisy. Yeah. A little sh- bit. Shall we move on to the less wrong posts? Yes. Sure thing. All right. <laughs> Our first uh, post that we're gonna talk about today is the sequence post hypocrisy or acrasia. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Okay. I think so. And I, I think if I recall correctly, like the word acrasia was already in the community, I guess, in the air where uh, people had introduced it before, I think. 
I think Aristotle coined it. <laughs> or Plato. But, but it was not like, it wasn't a commonly used word. I had never heard it before the, the, rational, the rationalist community came around. I took philosophy classes. So I'm, oh, I, so I took it the okay. wrong way. I got it in the wrong order, probably. Yeah, it probably uh, came into the rationality community from philosophy. Oh, yeah. In the post, he mentions one of those philosophers. The ancient Greeks used the term akrasia. Yeah. yeah. In any, in any case, the idea that you know what you should do and you don't because of weakness of will. Right, yeah. And so it's, it's like, I want to lose weight and be attractive, but donuts. We've had this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is the first post. Well, I know this is the first post that actually uh, defines the term akrasia. And I think it was already being talked about a bit. But uh, th this post is a good introduction for someone who hasn't heard it before. And just basically says what akrasia is. And how it's not hypocrisy. Right. Or is it? Yeah. So you were, just before we started the episode, uh, you mentioned that you thought Robin Hansen had a more extreme uh, definition of hypocrisy than most people. Yeah, but um, they go on to kind of define what they're talking about in a nice way. Although the fact that they're arguing over definitions of words is kind of funny. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was thinking... That hypocrisy was just saying one thing and not doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. Like if my parents tell me not to smoke, but they both smoke. Um, and they say it's bad for you, you shouldn't do it between puffs on a cigarette. I thought of it in the um, ad hominem, what, to quoque, the hypocrisy argument, right? Yeah. So it's like the fact that they're not doing what they're saying doesn't make them wrong. You know, mm -hmm. Peter Singer could be, you know, as selfish as Donald Trump, but that would make his moral arguments wrong. It would make him a hypocrite, but it wouldn't make him wrong. Uh, but I think they, they, they have a more strict definition, which I think is fine, of like moral hypocrisy, saying, we were talking about religious people earlier, you know, the, the, the gay bashing super, super church or mega church uh, pastor who gets caught with his pants down doing blow off some male prostitute's dick or something, right? So <laughs> uh, this happened in Colorado Springs a few years ago, right? I think you generally do them like off their abs or something. Like doing blow off a dick would probably be hard. I mean, obviously, it would have to be hard. Ha, it would have to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my colorful language aside, the that would be hypocrisy in the sense that they're, talk, they're talking about. They're saying this is a moral failure, except when I do it. As you know, um, I've always, I don't know if it's my religious upbringing as well and like how Jesus loved using hypocrite as an insult, but I always also gave it a, a moral uh, aspect. Like, if your parents say don't smoke because it's health advice, then it's just a crazy. But if they're like giving you the impression that smoking is a morally bad thing, which I always got that impression from my parents, then it would be hypocrisy if they smoked. Hmm. Like, like if, if smoking has a moral judgment behind it, like it's dirty or it shows weakness will, you know, all good people don't smoke and they are smoking while they tell you that, then it's hypocrisy. Yeah. To be fair, the post then goes on to explain hypocrisy versus acrasia. And does it does it in a way that makes the distinction, I don't know, more palatable and actually easier to understand what phenomena we're talking about if we use acrasia or hypocrite to describe a behavior. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. Right. Uh, yeah, Eliezer says, if I really believe that I ought to exercise at least three times per week, but I don't always do so, is that properly termed a hypocrite? The, mean, the term acrasia, meaning weakness of will or failure of self-control, seems more appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's basically it. I've I've always... I feel like a douchebag saying this i kind of have gotten the impression for many years now that the rationalist community overuses the term acrasia or acrasia to uh as an excuse sometimes to justify all the shit that yeah. we just still do despite us should be knowing better right i'm like yeah. every now and then it's a right to just say you know what i'm i'm a crappy human or something and i'm doing something like 
giving it the term akrasia almost seems too noble sometimes because you're using a fancy greek word but yeah like, so you're explaining like why you didn't do your work it's like well because i was playing red dead redemption for four hours right and it's like oh that was that was akrasia that's weakness of will it's not a problem with me you know as a person a moral character is a weakness of will yeah and, and like, i'm like dude you wanted to drink and play video games yeah. i feel you i've been there too a lot all you but... have to do is admit there's nothing wrong with that once in a while right, <laughs> right. as long as you're not like missing bills or you know, not you're getting you know losing your job or something because you're playing too much video games and go nuts. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I think that it's generally correct, and I also don't think that people are like, oh, it's okay that I was drinking and playing video games because it was just a crazy. It's like people when they say that, it's not like they're giving themselves a free pass. I think it's just an actually true definition of what was going on in their brain. They probably sat there drinking, playing video games, and every twenty minutes thinking, I should go do the dishes. I should go walk the dog. And then they felt bad about themselves afterwards. Story that's, of my life. I think that's generally how that happens. There's, I think, very few people that... That's me, like, five days a week. ...don't feel bad about, like, doing behaviors that they know they don't really want to do or that, like, are actually, like, short-term shooting themselves in the foot. Okay. Then I was being a douchebag then. Well, maybe just misunder... Maybe, like, mismodeling them because, you know, I think if you're consistently making the acrasia-like thing, uh, or, or not excuse, but um, explanation for your behavior, and, like, you're... you're notice and acknowledge it but don't do anything about it then what's the point like so i i tend to not to feel bad about my video game binges you know assuming i'm not putting off important things right yeah i don't have much to add to that other than why did they start this debate in the first place uh hansen and yudkowsky oh well i assume it was because hansen was doing his um typical economist revealed preference thing yeah where people are like well they obviously don't really care about their health they're just signaling that they care about their health and they're smoking right and yeah and all the answer was like, it's just weakness of will. It's not necessarily. Is Robin Hansen human? <laughs> <laughs> I love Robin Hansen. No, me too. He's yeah. amazing. I think he's great. But it, it's funny because maybe he, I don't know how he has this ability maybe to see through the bullshit. Maybe he doesn't live with the bullshit. Maybe it's some quirk. He's always wearing the one ring from the, the um, Lord of the Rationality. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's the... The distinction, I think maybe the reason that it's in this at all is because it's a valuable thing to notice about, like, why aren't you doing the thing that you want? Well, you know, it's not because you suck. It's just because maybe it's a weakness of will sometimes. Yeah. And you can you can train your will, but you can't maybe train your moral character as easily. I'm not really sure what they're getting at there. but Oh, uh, it's also, if you're going to be using that term, it's good to have a post that defines it. Yeah. I mean, this is a sort of sequence of things that is supposed to be starting from bedrock wait is that why it's called the sequences yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've made the effort to intentionally choose the acrasia argument in the past i didn't define it that way but i went around for a while kind of having this like dark view of the world going yeah people suck the life sucks and uh i kind of wanted to improve after a while so i started uh, a an experiment where i was just giving people the benefit of the doubt like for example i was um driving for many years I was uh, commuting to college for five years, and it was like a 45-minute drive both ways. And then Oof. for work, it was the same distance. And just like on a highway, and people cut you off, and <laughs> New Jersey drivers. Uh, so when people would cut me off, I would be like, what a terrible person, what a dick. And it would just make me miserable. And I kind of tried to change my mindset where I would give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, they probably cut me off because they didn't see me. Or because maybe they've got an emergency. They might be speeding somewhere because something really bad's going on with them. Or... They're really stressed out or whatever. I went through the same sort of transformation. Yeah. And I think it was around the time, I don't think that this kicked it off, but there's a great distillation of half of that attitude, which is called Hanlon's razor. Uh-huh. Never attribute to malice. That was just equally explainable by stupidity. Yeah. So it's like someone who cuts you off, 
they could be a malicious asshole, but more than likely, they're probably just stupid. And so, <laughs> <laughs> or they're a bad driver. Yeah, they're not paying um, attention. Yeah, they're not paying got attention. they other shit going on. I was yeah. using stupid generically. <laughs> um, I feel like you're not but, giving them that much of the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's not quite what Jess was going for. But but it's hard to be mad at somebody for like not noticing something. Mm. You know, if you felt like they're trying to run you off the road, which sometimes they are, then they're, you know, they're dicks or trying to hurt you. it's almost never that anyone's actually trying to run you off the road. No one cares that much about you to try no, to run you off well, the road. Well, I'm not saying that, I meant to say, like, not never, right? Right, right. And, like, there are people who, like, they'll see you and then scoot up so you can't merge. Like I mentioned last episode where, you know, difficulty entering the highway. Yeah, right. people it's definitely like, get road rage. Yeah, yeah. So, some people are being assholes, don't get me wrong, but most of the time they're probably not. They're just not aware. But there's another thing that helps me get over, like, that same sort of, like, people suck attitude of inferring the moral character from their actions. and. Mm-hmm. What's that? The fundamental attribution error where you're snippy with somebody, you know, at getting coffee or something because you just had like the worst day ever. You were in two car accidents this week and, you know, you've got rocks in your shoes. Yeah, your kid's and sick in the hospital. And- yeah, all, <laughs> all this crap, right? And then so like you're, you're snippy with the barista or something. And then a week later, your life's great. And then the person in front of you is snippy. And you're like, that person must be a fucking dick. I'll bet he kicks his dog. I'll bet he, you know, uh, I'll bet he litters. Like, you just start referring a bunch of mean things about their personality. Probably the opposite political orientation. Exactly. You guys are mean. I'm saying that this is what humans do. This, this, <laughs> I, I didn't coin the phrase fundamental, fundamental attribution error. This is, an ex- this, is a, this is the perception that people, or this is the explanation that people see, we is see our history. really a lot of people like that? I mean, I've met one or two people like that, but I... Th- I think everyone's my, like that to some extent. I always thought it was my impression that that is the exception, that generally Maybe. people are assume the best of others. Maybe oh, you're a no. saint. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong, I, I don't walk around angry people now, but I did, especially as a teenager. Like, why is everyone being so mean? Hmm. And it's like, they're not. They're just doing what makes sense to them in their moment. But that's not, I think, an intuitive realization for most of humanity. Yeah. Understanding the elephant in the brain actually... Uh, does help i think you i don't know at first it seems like oh the people are all like homo economicus is not the right word but uh just trying to maximize stuff for themselves and they're blind to themselves all the time and at first it makes like you feel really angry about everybody but then like once you take the moral judgments out of the picture it starts being like you can actually give people more of the benefit of the doubt because you understand that everybody has these flaws in their brains and it's not that they're intentionally like trying to be malicious towards you you can explain things away through brain bugs too I eventually, I started doing the, accepting the acrasic explanation because I realized I was making myself miserable. And what I noticed the more I started doing the opposite was, if you go around thinking that people suck and that life sucks, you know, people don't want to be around you because you're depressing. Mm -hmm. So then you end up, you don't get friends, you don't have like romantic relations, you miss out on like job opportunities and then life does suck. And then you're like, it's all those other people's fault. So, like, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you get the other benefits of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes people are jerks, but, like, most of the time they actually do have something terrible going on in their life. Or they're, you know, they've got some kind of extenuating circumstance or they were just not paying attention. And people like you if you're the kind of person that extends the benefit of the doubt. You see more of the good side of humanity. And, like, everyone's got stuff. And that's that's kind of what you were saying, too. That, yeah. you know, this isn't, like, necessarily just an insight from, like, rationality or psychology or something. You know, the, the observation that, like, everyone's got struggles that you're not aware of is been, you know, noticed and marked down by tons of people throughout the ages. Um, but be, being mindful of that, I think, keeps you from getting annoyed at people a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Really quickly at the end here, I noticed the post called me out, which I thought was really impressive that he managed to write this <laughs> 10 years ago to call me out today. Who says that people who claim to care about truth and then deceive themselves really don't care about the truth? Why not say they really care about the truth, as is right and proper, but they aren't living up to their own morals? And I know on more than one occasion I've said that, like, 
all you really need to do to get people to accept the scientific method and and or reject religion is just make them care about the truth and then they'll find out on their own because they want to know the truth and that'll motivate them and i'm like now i'm like hmm that that sounds that sounds like maybe i am uh wrong in your defense i think you probably formulated that during your years of arguing with religious people and where the where the where the sentence i don't care if that's true or not is used a lot right it wasn't used very often with the people i argued with okay. I, I, I tended I've, to argue with other people on forums who were also there for the intellectual sparring because i mean i've definitely seen i guess just your lay religious person especially where it's like yeah. fine i don't care if it's true you know it makes me feel good or right. i've run you know, i hope it's times. true <laughs> and so like to many people truth isn't that high of a value but but just like trying to hammer into love the truth more into people is not going to be the answer, I guess. I think it would work on a large number of, of people. Again, anyone who's saying they don't care if it's true or not, it gives them hope. You know, something else like, it doesn't have to be religion. It could be like an alternative therapy for a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't care if it's been not been, if it's been shown not to work. It gives me hope. It's something that I think your average, mostly sane adult could say, right? Yeah. I think it's not that they don't care about truth. It's that they care about it less than having that hope that this alternative therapy will cure their child or that they'll go get to live forever in heaven or whatever i don't know i think if someone's child has cancer they really do care about curing that cancer and they they care about the truth in that regard but they just don't have the the tools already to know that this homeopathy is bullshit yeah or that they've already tried all the standard care and they have to resort to the homeopathy yeah, that's fair. I mean, they wouldn't be giving them any sort of alternative medicine if they didn't expect it to work. So, like, they care about what's true. They just not... They, their map is wrong, right? Yeah. It's really hard to come to someone when their kid is dying of cancer and telling them that this is bullshit and this is why. It seems like this is one of those things that you should work on before the cancer happens because yeah. once cancer's in the picture, it's you're a real asshole if you're <laughs> being like, hey, uh, about that homeopathy. It's the same thing with the religion. Say someone's kid has just died and then yeah. they're, you know, you, you can't go up to them at that point and be like, oh yeah, but like, you know what, you should really care about the truth. Uh, God doesn't exist. Your kid's gone. <laughs> That's like a bad time to have that argument. Yeah. I remember read people trying to get me again when I was back in my religious debating days of like, well, would you like talk to somebody about their religion on their deathbed? And I'm like, no, I'm not an asshole. What could they do with this new information if they're gonna die in thirty minutes? Nothing. <laughs> right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin their, their last minutes. If they were making a bunch of wrong decisions and they were like, you know, nineteen, they're gonna decide, do I wanna go to college or do I wanna go off and, you know, do whatever, some pointless religious thing. Not saying all religion stuff is pointless, but you get my point. That would be a good time to have that conversation, but not at the point where you're ruining their life or ruining. Yeah, I mean, you could retroactively ruin someone's life in their last 30 minutes, right? <laughs> so well, forget that. I don't that. think you'd ruin their life, but you'd ruin the last 30 minutes of it. But you, but they would, they would, yeah, you'd ruin the last 30 minutes and they would look back and say my whole life was pointless. If you somehow managed to convince them that this whole thing was, was bullshit in their last 30 minutes, then like they, they might have said, I, I, I regret everything and oh, then die, I don't think right? they would ever really do that because there's still everything else in their life. Well, we, we, we talked about how hard that, how, how that can, transition can take more than 30 minutes, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Alrighty, on to, do you know how to pronounce this? Tsuyoku Naritai. Yeah. That's do, do that again? Tsuyoku Naritai. Tsuyoku Naritai. Neat. Okay. The next episode, Tsunoku Naritai. I want to become stronger. This is uh, explaining the, the fundamental growth mindset. Oh God, I just use that term of rationality and that people want to be better cool sidebar why don't people like i remember growth mindset was popular for like five years and then yeah. it wasn't why <laughs> did it, didn't it not replicate or something i don't know how you could uh test that i think there was something where they did some battery of psychological tests and showed that it, it didn't actually work all right what's growth mindset 
growth mindset is the idea that uh, I can always get better, stronger. I don't have intrinsic uh, limits. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's like, I can't do this because I'm too dumb. It's like, I can't do this now, but I will get better. Okay. Wait, I think I'm thinking of something other than growth mindset that didn't replicate no, that that's what it was because you it were was? supposed to not tell kids that they, they have intrinsic limits it's more like you you can still you oh can you can be anything you, you want to be yeah yeah exactly well so like that seems on one that seems like a deepity right in the mm-hmm. sense that like one reading of it is just trivial and obvious and the other the other other half is like profound if true but like so i think that's why it started became sort of a joke eventually ish well but on the one obvious side like i'll never win an olympic gold medal for uh deadlifting mm-hmm. right because i'm th- i'm almost 30 and i can deadlift right now like maybe nine pounds so um that's that's just never going to happen but to say that that's it's it will never ever happen because i i'm a transhumanist i think that one day we'll all be able to you know maybe not win gold medals but i'll be able to compete with today it's gold medalists no problem maybe i need to think about this this whole growth mindset thing more and not keep us down that rabbit hole for too long yeah i think they rejected it too strongly i think it's like anything that becomes too popular too fast that after a while there's a backlash i think it's just yeah that hipster backlash going on anyways so eliezer says the orthodox jewish belief that all judaic law was given to moses by god at mount sinai after all it's not as if you could do an experiment to gain new halakhic knowledge the only way you can know is if someone tells you who heard it from someone else who heard it from god since there's no new source of information, it can only be degraded in transmission from generation to generation. I still thought to myself, Torah loses knowledge in every generation. Science gains knowledge with every generation. No matter where they started out, sooner or later science must surpass Torah. The most important thing is that there should be progress. So long as you keep moving forward, you'll reach your destination, but if you stop moving, you'll never reach it. I love that. I cut out for brevity, but he said that like this was a thing that occurred to him as a kid. Uh, even though I'm all religious and stuff, at some point, science is going to be better than God. <laughs> yeah, he was like, I wasn't a full-blown atheist yet, but I did have this thought that kind of <laughs> planted the seed. Well, in their defense, I mean, he was you know, already, I guess, an above-average logical person as a child, but those two things are are, tri- are obviously true, right? right, right. If science is learning more and the Torah is learning and we're getting less from, from the Torah, and I'm drawing lines with my hands that are... I'm not drawing good lines. <laughs> one's supposed to go down, one's supposed to go up. Yeah. And yeah, so... What's the what's the message? The message, uh, so th- it's called Tsuyuku Narat. Tsuyoku Naritai. Because it's a Japanese term uh, meaning uh, I want to become stronger. He points out that it's much more prevalent in Japanese media than American media. And specifically, I'm thinking about anime because I see it a lot in anime. But uh, I think that's a good point. We don't have it as much in America. No, it was the entire theme of the anime Gurren Lagann. If anyone's familiar with that one, uh, it, humanity was like living in this dystopia where everyone lived underground and they were imprisoned by these like animal creatures and then like the end of the show was them like two galaxies fighting other galaxies like it just it was this like theme of growth that was just so ridiculous and over the top that it was really adorable but i mean it's it's a theme in a lot of anime yeah like veroni kenshin he needs to be strong enough to beat beat shishio and goes on his you know little quest to find his true strength uh inuyasha which is like 190 episodes which i dropped off after like 120 because every season was exactly the same (laughs) where they'd find the bad guy and then he would, you know, hurt him. And then the bad guy would run behind some MacGuffin wall. And then he's not strong enough to get through the wall. So then the next season he goes off, gets strong enough to get through the wall. And then he gets through the wall, hurts the bad guy again. Guy goes behind a different wall. <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat for like six years. And I'm like, all right, that's, yeah. it's all the same. You're yeah. never going to get the stuff. Yeah. Attack um, on Titan. A kid starts out like not knowing a lot, but really wanting to avenge his family. To and kill all the Titans. Yeah, and protect <laughs> his society. So yeah, he just 
keeps learning and getting better and has this drive to become the person that can defend his his society yeah and i stopped watching that too because it started becoming just episodes and episodes of filler yeah. I'm like i can't do this what's it's wrong with you just animes? like a pretty strong undercurrent of japanese culture um you see it also like not just in anime but like you'll see it in martial arts and even in like I don't know, I like to watch the NHK and they always show like there, there's a part about craftspeople. So like somebody making clay pots and you'll NHK? watch this. Yeah, the um, it's it's basically the Japanese BBC for some reason. I can't think of what okay. the acronym no, is, but they have the English version of it, too. And you can stream it from their website. They have some pretty uh, neat programming. And this is like, yeah, one that I really like is like they follow craftspeople. And um, so there's like a guy making clay pots, but like he's trying to become the best person who ever made clay pots ever. And, like, he's already achieved mastery, and Eliezer talks about this, too. It's like, you could say Suyokunari Tai if you're a new Go player that wants to ascend, or if you're getting pretty good, but you still want to be, like, in the top ranks, or if you're already the best person alive, but you still think you could do better. Yeah, and in that sense, that kind of growth mindset's true. That, like, I don't want to belabor on that point, but there's always the capability to say, I want to do better, even if you're the best. And even if you really suck, you want to suck a little less. I think, yeah, you may... The, the point about just, like, lifestyle stuff, you know? I mean, I've seen documentaries of people making, like, kitchen knives, and uh, that... I didn't see the whole documentary, but that sushi one. Oh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Yeah. Like, the, the, the mentality in Japan, or in Japanese culture, is different in that, like, here, it's like, I want to be good enough to make the most money in my field for my area or something. I don't really care about being the best. I just, you know, I want to be... Not necessarily, but that's that's maybe more common attitude. It's like... I don't really care about being the best at this in the world or the best at this even in my city. I just want to make, you know, a very competitive salary or something. Yeah, Siyokun and Aitara, I think, has a uh, kind of a leg up on maybe growth mindset. Or maybe, like, this was the problem was that people were kind of mischaracterizing growth mindset. But you kind of think of, again, like, the skinny kid who wants to, like, become an Olympic athlete. And it's just never going to happen because of genetics. Whereas I think Siyokun and Aitara is kind of comparing yourself against who you were. Which I think is more of, you know, a rationalist value. I like that distillation a lot. That's... that. Sounds perfect to me. Yeah. It's not that I'm comparing myself to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's I'm comparing myself to me of a month ago. And I want to be stronger than him. And in a month now, I want to be stronger than me now. <laughs> right? That sounds... I like that. Uh, speaking of anime, there's the anime called uh, Mob Psycho. And there's like this one aspect of it that I really enjoy. It's this ridiculous show about a kid with psychic powers. And he sees ghosts and stuff. He's like this, this skinny, weak kid otherwise. And he's not popular. <laughs> and he decides to join the body improvement club at one point because he has a girl he likes and he realized that no matter how good he is at psychic stuff she's not gonna like him unless he's got a good body <laughs> and it becomes this really funny thing of like it's this um team of like the the most ridiculously drawn jocks who are like running laps and lifting stuff and then there's like this ridiculously weak kid kind of lagging along behind them tripping over himself like unable to like lift a marshmallow on two sticks and it's like People are like, why are you doing this? You're like this great psychic. You could, I don't know, one character who is this other great psychic who he beat in a, in a fight. It's like, you could rule the world with your power. And he's like, well, yeah, but I couldn't, you know, like make that girl notice me. So <laughs> I thought that that was really funny. And it, it's just really adorable. It, I recommend this anime a lot. What was it called? Uh, Mob Psycho. It just, it takes a lot of um weird anime tropes and kind of like turns them on their head. That's what this uh, writer is good at. It's the same person who did um One Punch Man. Oh, cool. I've definitely heard of that. I saw the first episode. I don't know what I'd get into if I got set down for two seasons of it, but it sounds interesting. No, that sounds fun, though. The the first one you mentioned that I still forgot the name of again. Mob Psycho? Mob Psycho. Mob Psycho. Okay, there it is. Yeah, there's a lot of that theme running through it, too, where characters are, various characters are trying to become better for like bad reasons versus good reasons, so it gets a little bit more into that. That reminds me, back on the post, though, that the, the message isn't, I don't know, don't worry about being the best. Just if you have this drive, which I think a lot of people do, 
you want to be just better mm-hmm. and, and that's always attainable basically you know within physical limits etc but it's almost like it's um emphasizing a particular virtue for people who are virtue ethicists <laughs> that <laughs> that this is a great virtue to have the will to become better yeah you could say it's something that gives life meaning yeah i mean i'm just thinking of like and you could do this anything it doesn't have to be you know i'm gonna hone my rationality skills or you know be a you know an amazing doctor <laughs> There's people who've beaten Dark Souls on the Guitar Hero <laughs> controller, yeah. right? And like, they're not doing that for money. They're they're not doing it for probably not for the prestige. Maybe there's some prestige with that with that community, but they're doing it to see if they can, mm-hmm. right? That might already be the best, but like, all right, now I wonder if I can do it blindfolded. I saw yeah. a video of a girl beating uh, Pontiff Sullivan, one of the bosses in Dark Souls Three, blindfolded. Cool. Off audio cues? Yes. Cool. But the audio cues, to me, aren't that obvious. Certainly, you don't know where you are. It's because you haven't done it like, every day, all day long. Exactly. But wa- I watched you do this, and it was fucking amazing. <laughs> I love seeing stuff like that, too. It's so... I don't know. Like, I, I, there's Sometimes I watch videos and be like, humans are the best. When you see you know, like somebody do a ridiculous skateboarding trick. Um, or, yeah, those humans are awesome videos. Yeah, are. It was, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, the humans are awesome videos. Like, uh, It's just a... Uh, it's adorable. There's a subreddit called Humans Being Bros. <laughs> so like most of my news feed is like positive things like that. I I keep the negative things in there, but I, I have it like at least three to one on good stuff. And it's like videos or clips or whatever of people like this guy walking past this homeless dog. And he's like, there's this kind of like scrap of like cloth in the street that's big enough. And he goes and gets it and he lays it on the dog. And it's like a security mm-hmm. camera that, you know, just nice little thing, a little, little warm fuzzy. Sometimes you need warm fuzzies. Yeah. Uh, the... Essay post says Tsukunaritai. Tsukunaritai. Tsukunaritai is the driving force behind my essay, The Proper Use of Humility, which we did a few episodes back, in which I contrast the student who humbly double checks his math test and the student who modestly says, But how can I ever really know? The student who double checks his answers wants to become stronger. Uh, he also goes on to have another cool anecdote from his uh, religion of birth. Each year on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur? I've heard it both ways. Okay. An Orthodox Jew recites a litany which translates, we have acted shamefully, we have betrayed, we have stolen, we have slandered, as you, and so on. As you pronounce each word, you strike yourself over the heart in penitence. There's no exemption whereby if you manage to go without stealing all year long, you can skip that word and strike yourself one last time. It does not end, but that was this year, and next year I will do better. This ritual bears a remarkable resemblance to the notion that the way of rationality is to beat your fist against your heart and say, we are all biased, we are all irrational, we are not fully informed, etc. Take no pride in your confession that you are too biased. Do not glory in your self-awareness of your flaws. If your ignorance is a source of pride to you, you may become loath to relinquish your ignorance. It's perfect. Yeah, I've got nothing to add. He ends it with, the important thing is to do better, to keep moving ahead, to take one step forward. Tsuyukunaritai! <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you nailed it. All right. I like this one in the uh, context of the previous post because it kind of it's an interesting thing to contrast against. The other one was kind of uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt, saying like, me, you know, they're not doing these things because of Krasia. But then this is uh, you can kind of you know ask why are they not? <laughs> Maybe they are, and it just takes a while. You don't get to become super sane in a single episode. It takes. 100 episodes of filler <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what i what i like to do is to give other people the benefit of the doubt but like hold myself to a high standard and i don't expect other people to do it it's nice if they do there was a quote from the previous uh post where eliezer had said it what would you do if someone came to you saying that like i have all these flaws i've done all these things but i want to become stronger please help me 
And I feel like that's the point where you would turn that person towards the Suyokunari Tai philosophy. But I do kind of wish that it was more of a uh, value of our culture. I think that like it's kind of uh, Japan is like a high conscientiousness culture, and uh, it's neat that they value that. I think like in America we tend to kind of idolize rock star types, and we we also tend to think of it as like it's weird because we're supposed to be like the country that thinks that anybody can be whatever they want. But I think that like when you actually talk to Americans, they tend to betray more of an idea that people are kind of born with something or not. Hmm. Yeah, they had that spark. That's that's why. Yeah. And I've I've talked to people and have like expressed that dichotomy in real time where it's like okay sure Martin Luther King Jr. had this this spark of you know care for compassion for humanity and whatever his vices but I don't think that detracts from the good things he did someone else was born the poor child of abusive drug addicts or something and they have less opportunity to be Martin Luther King Jr. Um, mm-hmm. and yet the whole again American what do you call it dream is that anyone can do anything right yeah so it's like oh no that person could do it too and it's like well can like within the limits of like physically possible sure but and this isn't really i guess tying to the difference between our two cultures it was just something something with that mentality trips me up right and that's a whole other thing and it's obviously i'm not being very coherent about it so it's hard to be coherent about because like there's a sense in which i think both of these ideas are correct obviously i'm giving people the acrasia explanation i think it's true like i I generally think that in um the last post somebody linked to a brian kaplan article where he was talking about what if there's uh an alcoholic who just decides to go to the bar after work every day and gets smashed instead of going home to his wife and kids now maybe it's true that he actually likes alcohol more than his wife and kids but you can't say that without suffering social consequence so he gets to you know maybe go to some uh AA and like walk around saying how he feels really bad for his behavior and he wants to change and then he gets social sympathy and he gets to keep drinking so that was like kind of a point against the whole like akrasic like there's social consequence to uh admitting your true self or your true beliefs and there's uh you get like socially rewarded i guess for saying the things that society thinks you should say like i should exercise i should diet i should do my homework sometimes maybe people are just kind of hiding that they don't actually want to do those things yeah. and just saying like and you know you know there's a sense to which i do think that that's probably correct but i also think that the you know hypothetical alcoholic probably does actually feel bad about what he does maybe he has a really hard life maybe his job really wears him out every day he has to make the choice do i go to the bar and feel like instant gratification i'd feel better and have a few drinks or do I go home, fight with my wife, like change my kid's diaper, take out the trash, walk the dog, and feel miserable? And the thing about like in this case, a drug dependency is that like it becomes less and less of a choice every day, right? Because you know if you're in it and you you if you have a dependency, then like when you decide not to, it's not just where you stay like where you are. All right, I'm gonna go home and be like only as miserable as I am. You're gonna get more and more miserable throughout the day and following days because your your body needs needs and quotes really really wants whatever it is that you're addicted to right and it puts in mind the super stimuli that you know the people who died playing diablo 3 and whatever dota 2 or whatever games it was they probably didn't make the decision like i'd rather do this for one more hour than live out the rest of my life mm. uh they they just had a weakness of will and a i guess lack of attention it's obviously super rare so it's not like if this was happening to one in 200 gamers they'd probably there'd be a more of a panic about this. Yeah. <laughs> it does happen to people though. Yeah. Like you hear about a crazy behavior in casinos and whatnot. Like there's some people that just have such strong addictive tendencies that they will completely like ruin their entire lives to continue pushing that button. 
That's a really good point. That gambling is just as it gives it's different kind of stuff than I'm assuming drug dependency, but mm, it's uh, similar. It, but it but yeah, that that feedback of like I've almost got it and that rush when you win is awesome. And I I can totally see how that that's super appealing yeah. uh, or rather common. Yeah, we all have varying levels of that too. It's not like there's a few people that just have superhuman willpower like Elon Musk, I guess, and they're in the other like top 1% in the other direction, but the rest of us, like, you know, the majority of people are somewhere in the middle of that, floating around. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for next time, we have Tsuko versus the Eglatarian Instinct. Oh, that sounds like kind of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And statistical bias, in quotes. Uh, we will post links to both of those on our website, thebayesianconspiracy.com. And you can find everything else that we talked about there as well. And on our subreddit, r slash Conspiracy. Uh, by all means, feel free to throw us a buck on Patreon if you feel like it, slash have the ability to. If not, no problem. Um, you're also welcome to, you know, whatever. Share an episode, talk about it, you know, anywhere on a Reddit comment, in a YouTube comment, to your friends in real life. Um, write, us you... a, write us a review on iTunes, give us a rating. Um, that definitely helps too. And we have a patron, I think, this week for people who are currently supporting the podcast. We do. We would like to thank John Pedersen for helping to provide this podcast and bring it to all of you. Yeah, thanks, John. This is awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks, man. You, it, it helps. Um, okay. Uh, we ran out of time again, so we will just probably do a full feedback episode next time or something. Catch up. Feedback's piling up. Yes. I'm not just stalling for time, Sarah LeVolk, and I will address the intellectual dark web <laughs> stuff I've been saying. <laughs> all right. All right, then we'll see you all in a couple weeks. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Bye.